to the MANA radio program, 30 minutes of insight, inspiration, and ideas to help leaders to lead, teachers to teach, pastors to pastor, and parents to parent. MANA is about feeding your soul, improving your serve, and restoring your spirit. And now your host, the founder and president of MANA Educational Services International, it's Dr. Rick Cromie. Hello, this is Dr. Rick Cromie, and you're listening to the MANA Radio Show, and I'm coming to you live from Boise, Idaho. Well, live to me, for those of you who are listening in, uh, this is definitely a tape situation for you, but at the moment that I am talking to you, it is very much live, and I just want to say hello to all of you who are listening in. I bet you've been wondering a little bit about where I have been. I mean, I've been a little bit MIA of lately, and that's because back in February, uh, I took a little break. I took a little time off with my uh, with my beautiful bride, Linda. Uh, we went over to Hawaii, started off with seven days in Kauai, and then uh, spent, uh, I think it was like five or six days in Oahu, Got to see Pearl Harbor and the Dole Plantation. Um, that was a lot of fun to see pineapples and spend some time on Waikiki Beach. And basically, I took a vacation for the first time in my, oh my goodness, I can't even think. It's probably been 10, 15 years since I took an honest-to-God vacation. I know a lot of you see me traveling around and, and experiencing a lot of things, but the truth is I'm usually working, I'm usually speaking, I'm usually training, I'm usually doing something else, and I see a lot of territory, but I never really have that opportunity to just relax. And I want to tell you, I got back from Hawaii so relaxed that um, we just used the month of March to continue. I had some work I had to do, and I definitely got back to work, but I kind of kept it on the down low. Um, in fact, I got to tell you, I've been doing something since uh, April 1st, since uh, Resurrection Sunday, that has been very helpful to me. And and that is, I have taken a sabbatical from Facebook as well. Those of you who are regular Facebook readers of what I write and, and share, you may have noticed uh, a bit of an absence from, uh, from me, and that's all intentional. Uh, I have really been taking some time to do some introspection, some thinking about who I am and what I'm about and what man is all about and why we exist, and it's been very, very helpful. I'm starting to have a lot of creative juices flowing, and it's time. It's time to start sharing more about what, um, what God has been speaking to me in my life. And I, I kind of want to use a metaphor for this show. Uh, perhaps uh, you've been uh, caught up, as I have, in the Chip and Joanna Gaines uh, phenomena. Chip and Joanna, they they have this little show on HGTV called The Fixer Upper. Maybe you've watched that show. It's, um, it's an amazing show, and Chip and Joanna Gaines, they're out of Waco, Texas. What they do is they 
help buyers and there's a lot of discussion about how this process works but basically they help a buyer renovate a home that is in dire need of fixing and restoring it getting it back to its true beauty and it's it really where was at uh, in the beginning and probably even a little bit better when you think about it I mean, Chip and Joanne have this incredible ability. Chip is the construction guy, and Joanne is the designer. And they just have this amazing ability to, to go in and see the bones of a place. Uh, Joanne will often knock out walls, and uh, she loves to get down to what she calls the shiplap, you know, and that's the, the old hardy wood that, that framed a lot of those old Texas homes, really a lot of old homes built in the in the. 10s and 20s and 30s. I think they stopped doing it in probably about the 40s using shiplap, but it's this very hardy board and they will get down to the bones. They'll get down to that board and, and they will bring it out and they will do something with it that just is absolutely gorgeous. They will turn something that is broken into something that is beautiful. They will turn something that's dilapidated into something that is delightful to look at and, and very attractive, a place where you would want to live. I want you to think about that metaphor for a moment because in reality, all of us are fixer-uppers. All of us are in dire need of having God renovate our hearts. That's what manna is all about. We're about feeding the soul. We're about renovating the heart. We're about inspiring people, just like Chip and Joanna do, to be better people. Not to be bitter. A lot of us can be bitter in this life, but to be better. And sometimes we have to get down to the shiplap. Sometimes we have to get down to the bones of the matter. And I want to take you to a story here today. I'll take you to a story today in the scriptures where Jesus actually does that with someone. He gets down to the bones of the matter. And he asks the central question that we all need to ask when it comes to restoring our souls, to renovating our hearts. Are you with me? Father, I just want to ask your blessing upon this time right now. I just want you to release us from the anxieties. Father, take away the um, take away the, the, the puny dreams that we often have for our lives. Help us just for a moment to reconnect to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Give me one last chance and I'm going to make you sing take you to an amazing passage in John chapter 21 and it's an incredible story about how Jesus restored Peter after the resurrection after the crucifixion after Peter had denied Jesus three times now you have to understand something to a Jew three meant something to a Jew three three meant a lot it was in a court of law, you only needed three witnesses to make a statement that was absolute. All you needed was to repeat it three times. In fact, we know in the divorce court in ancient Israel that for someone to just divorce their wife, all they had to say was, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you three times, and then it was done. This is why when um, 
when Peter and Jesus and and the disciples are having this conversation about forgiveness. Remember that? And and they they say, how much should we forgive somebody? Seven times. You know, think about what they were doing. They were taking the standard, which was three, doubling it and adding one, which basically in their mind meant infinity. So how much should we forgive this person? <laughs> they're saying, they're saying, well, let's see, let's let's do three. Three is the the most, and let's let's double it for Jesus because that's good. And then let's just add one for good measure. Seven times, right, Jesus? And Jesus comes back and says, no. 70 times seven, which would have blown their little theological minds right out of the water. You see, three means something. And when Peter denied Jesus three times, he might as well have betrayed him. In fact, in in many ways, uh, a denial of three times of your rabbi was dismissal. Remember, Peter was in a rabbinical relationship for him to say, I do not know my master. I do not know this man. I do not know my rabbi. To do that three times would have ended his rabbinical relationship. Do you hear me? It would have ended it. So Peter is now post-resurrection. In the moment, in the heat of the moment, he makes a huge mistake. An absolutely unpardonable mistake. And now he's fishing because that's what fishermen do. Peter was a fisherman. He was a fisherman before Jesus and him hooked up and he was a fisherman. He thought after. He thought his little ride with Jesus for the last three and a half years was was now over and that um, he's just going to go back to the boat. But Jesus has other plans for Peter. If you look in John chapter 21, it's very interesting. John John says, and it's interesting, in this passage, John will actually refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John, in his own gospel, never refers to himself by name. He just says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, I guess you can see a little bit of bravado in that, but I see a lot of humility. I see a man who's basically saying, I'm nothing without Jesus. And I'm definitely nothing without a Jesus who loves me. You see, when Christianity is broken down to the bones, when it's broken down to the shiplap, (laughs) the hardwood of what Christianity is all about, it's simply one word, love. So let's take a look at this story. And it says that afterwards, Jesus appeared to his disciples. This is John chapter 21, verse 1. And they were by the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, Simon Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and James and John and a couple other disciples, they were all they were all out in this boat and they were fishing. They're out there fishing. And it says they fished all night and they caught nothing. Now, this is very reminiscent of an earlier story where they did the same thing. They, they fished all night and got nothing. And uh, maybe you remember that story. You know, Jesus tells them, hey, throw your net over on the other side and uh, see what you pull up. And they did. And they pull up all this fish. And it's, a, it's an amazing story. Well, Jesus is going to remind them of that, of that moment. It says, early in the morning, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. They had no clue it was him. They just saw a man way in on the shore. 
And this man calls out to them, friends, have you any fish? And they, of course, answered no. This was pretty common back then, too. It was not uncommon for people to talk to each other from shore to ship. And Jesus says, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. It's interesting that they took up that suggestion because you got to understand, they have been fishing all night. And can I remind you, they are fishermen. <laughs> There's nothing worse that a fisherman wants to hear is to get advice from the back seat or from the shore from someone who's not fishing about how they should be fishing. But they were very humble at this point, I guess. Maybe even humiliated. And so they threw their net on the other side of the boat to look, to, 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 or to, to fish. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net up because of the large number of fish. And it was at that point that they recognized that it was Jesus. And John said to Peter, it is the Lord. And, and, and the minute Simon Peter heard this, now realize he's been distant. He has, he has seen and he has, he's, been, he's been separated a bit. And the minute Simon Peter heard, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he had taken off. He was basically working in his skivvies, <laughs> working in his underwear. He put his outer garment on and he jumped into the water. He jumped into the water and he swam to shore. And the other disciples are following, towing this big load of fish. And they weren't too far from shore. Scripture says about 100 yards. And it says when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread. Now, that's very interesting that that Greek word for burning coals is significant to this story because if you go back to John chapter 18 this is one of the denial scenes one of the denial episodes with Peter and Peter is around a fire of burning coals and in verse 18 this is where he denies Jesus and Jesus is literally bringing Peter back to the scene of the crime He's bringing him back to the coals. He's taking him down to the ship lap. He's getting him down to the bare bones of what it means to follow him. To follow him. And, you know, Jesus says to, to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. And Peter, you know, basically they bring the fish in and they, they have 153 fish. And, of course, there's all sorts of biblical scholars and and people over the years who've tried to figure out what does 153 mean and if there's something special to the number you know what i think i think it means they caught 153 fish <laughs> it's amazing that they actually remember that number but when you think about it these type of episodes were clearly significant and if you had that moment where you caught 153 fish you might remember the number you might remember the number big time I was watching the deadliest catch last night and they're constantly throwing up the numbers. You know, we caught 73 and, and you know, when they hit one of those record ones where we caught 105 crab in this one, in this one catch. And, you know, you tend to remember that. So I don't think there's anything biblically significant in that number of 153. I just think it's 153. Now, Jesus said to them in verse 12, come and have breakfast. But none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time Jesus now had appeared to his disciples that he had raised after he had raised from the dead. So this is the third time. Is that, is that significant at all? Peter denies Jesus three times, and now this is the third time he has appeared. 
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and this is what I want you to catch, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, again, the Greek here is eloquent and explicative and gives a great explanation for what's going on here because Jesus is actually introducing a word that is going to appear later in the epistles. It's going to appear later throughout the New Testament, but it is the word agape. It is a word that when, when Jesus says, do you love, do you agape me? It is something more significant than any other type of love that they had ever experienced or known. Because the Greeks had several types of words, and in the Greek language there are several types of words for love. There was, there was storge love, for example, which was the love of a family. There was phileo love, which was the love between friends and brotherly love you know philadelphia we get the word philadelphia from phileo love and you know it's it's those those are types. there's eros which is more of a romantic or sexual love but jesus is introducing a new type of love here he's saying peter do you love me do you agape me and i want you to hold on to that for a moment because i want to catch this next phrase real quick do you love me more than these now, I could preach an entire message about more than these, but think about what Peter is looking at at this point. He's looking at his nets. He's looking at the haul of his nets. He's looking at success, but he's also looking at his livelihood. He's looking at who he was. He was a fisherman. And it's very easy, very tempting, you might say, in the moment to forget who God or what Jesus is trying to do in our lives because we're so past focused we're so present focused that we're looking at what we were that we miss out on where we are supposed to go and who we are supposed to be notice what jesus says do you love me more than these what's the these i think he's saying look around you peter do you love me more than these nets do you love me more than your career do you love me more than the money you can make? Do you love me more than the success that you can create? Do you love me more than the achievements, even if they're great achievements, like 153 fish? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the pride that bubbles deep inside you in moments like this? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your friends? I mean, you got friends all around you right now, Peter, or James and John, and. Nathaniel, you got all these friends hanging around us, and we're all good friends, but do you love me more than even these? And when you think about it, he's probably even going deeper than that into family, too. Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than your mom, your dad, your wife, your kids? you love me more than these? Do you agape me? Do you have a divine love, an unconditional love, a love that gives and gives and gives till it hurts, even if it hurts, even if it kills you, even if it gets you on a cross and crucified? Do you love like that? Do you agape me like that? Now notice what Peter does. <laughs> Peter says, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, see, again, the English just kind of mixes all these love words together. But Peter responds with the word philo. You know I love you. You know I philo you. I love you as a friend. 
which was a very deep type of love. You know, it's deeper, you know, in some ways it can be even deeper than storge love because there's nothing you can do about your family. We all have family members that we have and we like and, you know, maybe we, we even say we love them. But the truth of the matter is that our friends are people that are probably closer than our family. We have family, you know, family's blood, but our friends are people that we choose and we choose to do life with them. And he says, you know, I love you deeply. I love you as a dear, 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 dear friend, Jesus. And then Jesus says, well, feed my lambs. What? What? Jesus, feed my lambs. What, 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 what do you mean feed my lambs? Feed my lambs. See, Jesus is saying to Peter, very simply, I'm going to reinvent your life. You were once a fisherman, but I'm going to repurpose you. I'm going to renovate you. I'm going to reimagine you into a shepherd. You're going to be a pastor from now on. You're going to pastor people. You're going to pastor my sheep. You're going to shepherd my lambs. Again, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you truly agape me? And a second time, Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know I, you got it, philo you. And Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. The third time he says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you, and this is interesting, Jesus now changes his words. He changes from agape to philo in the Greek. He says, okay, do you just love me as a friend? I'll take that. And Peter was hurt. <laughs> Jesus asked him the third time, Do you philo me? Do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I philo you. I love you as a dear, dear, dear friend. And Jesus said, Well, then feed my sheep. That's what Peter did the rest of his life. He became a pastor in the early church. He became a shepherd of the flock. He became a, a, a leader who, through his writings and through his teachings, helped bring the early Christian church into significant uh, influence in not just Jerusalem, but in several other parts around the world, of the known world at that time. Peter was important. Now, what's that mean to you and I today? This is where I want to start wrapping this up right now I, I want to just I want to just help us understand a few things that we can draw out of this story but also really out of what Chip and Joanna do with a fixer-upper that can be important to us that can help us be the best person we can be the best you that you can be the best me that I can be and I think one of the things that Chip and Joanna do very well is that they make faith real. And if you watch the show, you, you know, they never really talk about their faith. Not on the show. They may mention their church from time to time or friends from church or relationships. And at one, on one episode, they, they clearly had a connection with Max Lucado and, and they built a, a house or redid a house for his daughter. And, and you can see in their home and in their lives, they just make faith real because Chip and Joanna, they're just... 
they're just common people. They, they literally resonate as, as just common people. They're, they're hardworking Texans who, you know, they appreciate faith and family and friends and obviously fixer-uppers. And, you know, they understand that there's shiplap in all of us. And sometimes we just have to get down to the shiplap. Because what happens in a lot of those Texas homes, and imagine homes outside of Texas as well that use shiplap. Shiplap was just a wood that went against the wall. And what you did was you covered it up with sheetrock or wallpaper or brick or anything else. You, you didn't let the shiplap show. And what Chip and Joanna do is they make the shiplap show. They bring it out. And they make faith real. And when I think about our own lives, when I think about the church today, when I think about businesses and organizations, the ones that really resonate in our culture are those who can get real, who can be authentic. And I've got to tell you, authenticity is very difficult for us as Christians in particular to achieve and to show, especially if you're a leader in the church, because God knows it's dangerous to be transparent if you're a leader in the church. I mean, we do love our masks. It's like Halloween every single Sunday. We love to come to church with our masks. But authenticity is so key. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Christianity was born. Christianity was conceived in blood. I mean, it goes back to the cross. It's blood. It's sweat. It's tears. And you know what that means to you and I? It means we need to keep it real. I mean, when you looked at the early church, authenticity was what was so attractive. They were a real people who really cared, who really lived their faith, who really had integrity, who really did what Jesus asked them to do. And it was so real that it was very dangerous. I think about the story of Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> I mean, they, they thought they were being kind of nice and sharing a gift to the to the church and everything. Well, it turns out they fibbed. They lied about their gift. They lied about the origin of the gift. They lied about how much they gave of the gift and they died. Imagine that. Imagine if you fibbed about a gift and we look at that and go, whoa, 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 whoa. What's the big deal, God? What's the big deal, Holy Spirit? I mean, at least they gave. Well, they gave with a lie. And in early church, that was risky. That was risky. That was dangerous. So I would just challenge you for you to think about your messages. If you're a pastor and you preach, if, if, you're, if you're a pastor and you're a leader, or even if you're working in a business and you're creating events and draw, trying to draw people to your business, are your messages, are your activities, are your events, are they real? Are they authentic? I think a second thing we can learn from Chip and Joanne is how they reclaim purpose. I mean, Joanna, she embraces this minimalist design where it seems like everything possesses purpose. Again, she converts this dilapidated wood into beautiful tables, and uh, she has this uh, um, rusty, uh, she can take rusty metal and uh, you know, she'll put it up on the wall and she'll have little sayings built into it or, or carved into it. And it's just incredible wall decor. Um, one of her favorite tricks is to remove walls. A lot of our homes are just, we have too many walls in our home and they're overly framed, you might say. And uh, and then she puts this very minimalist um, black and white gray 
into her final designs. I mean, she takes houses and she just totally reimagines them into a very minimal look. Now, I gotta tell you, one of the problems we have in the American church, but particularly the modern church and the Western church to a degree, is that we have 1700 years of Christendom that has colored us, that has framed us, that has created lots and lots of walls. And a lot of times we walk in, we, people walk into Christianity and they look at all the walls and they go, whoa, I don't want to live here. And the Holy Spirit is telling me right now that in these days, in this season of the church, that God is blowing a fresh wind, a fresh wind that's going to blow out the walls of the church. That's going to blow out what separates and what divides and what distinguishes. And he's just going to set up, he's going to say, come, let's be family again. Let's break open this. Let's be more authentic as we just talked about. Let's reclaim the purpose. Now I got to tell you, what is the purpose of the church? Let's just talk church for a moment. <laughs> what is the purpose of church? Now, we know what the command, we're commanded to go and to disciple, to baptize. We know that command from Matthew chapter 28. But what is the reason for our gathering? If you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we have a very minimalist, black and white reason. There was just four reasons why the early church gathered. You can read it for yourself. Acts 2, 42. It's basically they gathered to learn the apostles' doctrine, to have fellowship, to pray, and to break the bread, which was a reference to the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. So they gathered together to be discipled. They gathered together for community. They gathered together to worship, to pray, and to have the Lord's Supper. I guess I would ask you, how well does your church meet those four characteristics? Do you pray as a church, or does one person pray up on the stage? Do you break the bread of the Lord's Supper every week? Because we know that was a pattern of the early church. We know historically it was something that was done. The Didache talks about how the early church from the beginning has always broke the bread on Sunday. They've always had the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper on Sunday. It's been a weekly thing. A lot of churches today don't even practice that anymore. And what about discipleship? Do you learn the apostles' doctrine through the messages and through the teaching? If your church isn't meeting, and if there's not community, if there isn't fellowship, and there are a lot of churches today, I kind of wonder, they're more like the YMCA. They're more like the mall than they are a church. How well does your church match these four characteristics? Third, affirm and confirm. I, one of the things I love about Chip and Joanne is that they love to love on each other. They're constantly affirming each other's work, each other's attitude, their views, their character, their ideas. <laughs> they, they even confirm their uniqueness, their beauty, the, the gifts that they have. And yes, sometimes it borders on sappiness, but it works. And I got to tell you, I think they're a model for all relationships because love is the rule, the guiding rule of Christianity, and it's the oxygen of the local church. Our ability to affirm, encourage, uplift, bless is what grows commitment to the faith community. It's what attracts people and keeps people in the faith community. The defining tattoo of any congregation, I believe, is its contagious ability to love. I've got to tell you, that type of love is unconditional. It's agape. It's outrageous. 
agape. It's irresponsible. Agape. It's letting a disciple who had denied his master three times, had walked away from his rabbi. Most rabbis would have shook the dust off their shoes and said, you're done. I never want to see you again. And Jesus went looking for Peter. Do you hear me? That's amazing grace. That's irresponsible, outrageous, unconditional love. How well does your home love like that? How well, how much does your family show that type of love? Or your congregation show that type of love? Or your organization? Finally, the gains kind of keep something right up at the top. They keep family first. The Gaines children, they, they literally are they're part of the backdrop, the background of every show. You might even say they're the foundation of every show. Uh, Chip and Joanna are literally some of the most inspirational, ideal parents I've ever met. Functional parents I've ever met. I've watched the show. I, I, I thought, well, okay, maybe this is an act. Maybe this is just, you know, because good reality television is always looking for the dysfunctions and they cannot find any dysfunctions. I've, I've, I've read, uh, you know, many of the reviews and I've, I've looked at the, the back. People can't find any dirt on them as parents. They're just fantastic parents. Everybody who says anything about the gains, they say they're incredible parents. And you know what they do differently? First of all, they don't treat kids like they're in the way. Kids are valued. They're wanted, but even more, they're included. This is why children's ministry has to be a church's highest priority. Do you hear me? Highest priority. Families matter. Children matter. And children, I believe, need to be included in the whole faith community, not segregated, not siloed out into a children's ministry that never interacts with the adult population, that never, never interfaces with the rest of the adult community. And in many, many churches, that's true. We have segregated children so much that they grow up in our children's ministries and they do not experience the faith of an adult. And many of them come from families where adult faith is, is dysfunctional. I think we need to build families like the Gaines renovate houses. We need to get back to the bones. We need to get back to the shiplap. We need to get down to the heart of the matter. And that is, it's time to put families first in our churches. It's time to put parent, help parents be parent today. Parents today. It's time to have children be a part of our communities again. See, I grew up in a church like that. I've talked a lot about that over the years, but I grew up in a church where children were part of the fabric of the church. We went to adult church. There was no children's church. We went to adult church. We sat through those insufferable sermons. <laughs> I remember. There was a lot of times I didn't listen to the sermon, but I was listening. I sat there quietly. I drew pictures, but I was part of the family. You see, when you think about it, Fixer Upper and, and really the gains, they, they set this high relational bar for churches. But that's okay. That's okay because we're all Fixer Uppers. We're all in need of renovation. We're all in need of reimagination. That's what keeps us as real as that ship lap. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this show. I hope you've enjoyed this time together. I tell you what, I have felt inspired talking with you this this hour, this half hour. And I'm hoping that you have enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward 
to hearing your comments. Feel free to share this widely. Uh, feel free to like us on Facebook. Feel free to sign up for the Midweek Morning Mana. All you have to do is go to our website, manasolutions.com, www.manasolutions.com. Go to our website and sign up. Get the Midweek Morning Mana. We've got almost 400 people now getting inspired every single week. I put a lot of work into those as well because I want you as a leader, as a teacher, parent, as a pastor, be the best. Be the best at what you do. And I want to inspire you and I want to resource you and I want to give you ideas and insights just like I've done today. Not just from God's words, but also from wider culture. We're all fixer-uppers. We're all in need of renovation. Yeah, let's get back to the ship lab. Let's get real. You've been listening to the MANA radio program with Dr. Rick Cromie. MANA Educational Services is passionately committed to empowering leaders to lead, teachers to teach, pastors to pastor, and parents to parent. MANA offers workshops, video, and online training products and solutions completely for free. That's right. Plus, MANA offers digital downloads and other inspirational products and solutions, again, free of charge. And that's because of the generosity of our loving donors. MANA operates by the prayers and generosity of individuals and churches like you. And we invite you to consider a donation to our work. All donations are tax deductible. For more information, please visit our website at manasolutions.org. That's mana, M-A-N-N-A, solutions.org. Oh, 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 oh,